cuff technique utilizes one larger thigh cuff as opposed to four cuff technique, which utilizes two smaller thigh cuffs. Both methods use two cuffs below the knee, one over the calf, and one and the other at the ankle. There are specialized cuffs for the digits. The thigh pressure is more accurate using the three cuff method and eliminated the artifacts uh, that can be caused by the four cuff, me cuff method. The advantage of the four cuff method is that it provides the ability to determine high and low thigh pressure readings, which can further differentiate the level of disease. So the three cuff method, uh, you're going to use a 17 centimeter thigh cuff typically. If it's abnormal, it cannot differentiate the um, AI from SFA disease, that'd be the aortic iliac versus the superficial femoral artery. The four cuff, cuff method using a 12 centimeter thigh cuffs, um, upper thigh cuff pressure artifact is uh, greater than or less to 20 milligrams, uh, milligrams of mercury. Supposed to differentiate from the aortic iliac, from the superficial femoral artery, as far as where the disease is located. Cuff application. Uh, we have a couple different images that we're looking at here. One is showing the three cuff method versus the four cuff. The three cuff showing a real high 18 centimeter cuff, and then a 12 centimeter cuff at the calf, and a 10 centimeter cuff at the ankle, uh, difference being in the four cuff method, you have a cuff also just above the knee. Segmental systolic pressures continued. So you have a 12 centimeter cuff for the high and the low thigh. On that four cuff te technique, you have a 17 to 19 centimeter cuff on the thigh for the three cuff technique, a 10 centimeter cuff for the ankle, or the calf and the ankle. The upper extremity examination typically employ the use of three cuffs per arm at the levels of the upper arm, forearm, and wrist. There are also specialized cuffs for the digits. Um, and for the upper arm, that would be a 12 centimeter cuff for the upper arm, typically 10 centimeter for the forearm, five to 10 cuff for the wrists. And it really does depend on the patient's body habitus. You wanna have the appropriate, appropriate cuff because not everybody has the same size arms or legs. So, um, we, uh, when we're trying to, oh, I'm ahead of myself here. Segmentic, segmental systolic pressures continued, and the study starts with bilateral brachial systolic pressures, uh, measurements obtained using an 8 to 10 megahertz uh, continuous wave Doppler probe over the brachial artery by finding an audible signal, then achieving full sensation of flow by inflating the cuff above the last audible digit or sig signal, excuse me. The cuff is then slowly deflated until the first audible signal returns, indicating the systolic pressure reading. So in your Daigle book on page 186, it says when we're inflating the cuff to inflate the cuff manually or with an auto-inflation device until the signal is obliterated, and then you continue increasing pressure for an additional 15 or 20 milligrams of mercury before you stop. Then as it deflates until you hear the first audible signal, that's indicating a systolic pressure reading. The highest of the two brachial pressures will be used later to calculate the pressure indices. Segmental systolic pressure uh, 
They are obtained and recorded one leg at a time, starting at the ankle and working upward to the thigh, one level per, at a time. Two pressures are obtained at the uh, ankle level, one of the DPA and one of the PTA. The higher of those two pressure readings uh, is used as a reference uh, uh, for the remainder of the segmental pressures starting at the calf level. Pressure indices are calculated by taking the limb pressures and dividing them by the higher brachial pressure. So with our segmental uh, limb pressure interpretation, you want to compare the contralateral ligament. You compare the two adjacent, adjacent segments and compare it to brachial pressure. And a 30 milligram per mercury or higher pressure gradient or drop is significant in the presence of an abnormal ABI. Segmental limb pressure sites. It's useful in identifying regions of disease. The metatarsal and toe pressures are often used. This study indicates a probable inflow disease of the femoral popliteal disease in the left leg. And you can see the pressure drop in the circled area on the left side, and it's pretty significant. And then you can also see the indices and how they are much lower. To obtain uh, bilateral arm systolic pressures and compare, uh, you got to take a pressure on each side and a pressure gradient or drop of 20 milligrams of mercury or greater suggests subclavian artery disease on the low side. So you have brachial systolic pressures, uh, and this one's indicating it's abnormal on the left. And you have to remember not to take a pressure on an arm that has a dialysis access graft or a shunt that's present you could occlude that graft possibly. So always ask your patients if it is okay to take pressure on each arm and know their history before you even begin. Indirect physiological tests um, for pressure assessment, we have ABIs and or segmental pressures. For, we have plasmography, which is pulse volume recording, and we have photoplasmography, PPG, Doppler waveform analysis, and exercise stress tests. You can see here on the PVR uh, image that we have a significant change in the waveform based on whether the disease is normal, mildly, mildly abnormal, all the way down to severely abnormal where the waveform completely flattens out. Segmental Doppler pressures and volume plasmography. We have variations in the contours of the pulse volume recording. The segmental volume plasmography reflect the severity of the peripheral vascular disease. Mild disease is characterized by the absence of the dichrotic notch with progressive obstruction and upstroke and downstroke become equal. And with severe disease, the amplitude of the waveform is blunted. And you can see it's much lower. There's four waveforms there showing the normal with that dichrotic notch, uh, early disease, uh, things become more and more rounded into the modern and then all the way down to severe or moderate to severe disease. Palpitation of limb pressures. Um, that is some, not all labs conduct this test, um, but if you were able to get no uh, pulse, you'd have a score of a zero. A one plus is a weak pulse. A two plus is a normal pulse. 
3 is a very strong pulse with aneurysmal pulses. You can uh, observe by moving your hand up and down with each pulsation. You may get an order to perform an exam. It might indicate a number of uh, indicating how strong the pulse was from the ordering physician when they did the, their physical or their check. You can measure pulses at the following sites, at the groin, uh, distal external iliac artery or common femoral artery, popliteal fossa, popliteal, uh, and there you measure the popliteal artery pulse, and at the ankle, the DPA and the PTA. Physical signs of disease. Um, Note that physical signs of disease that may be apparent would be uh, pallor, pain, paresis, pulselessness, coldness, dependent rubor, cyanotic toes, ulceration, or non-healing wound. Remember that pallor is the palmus of the skin. Paresis is partial or slightly or slight paralysis, um, a, a loss of uh, muscle function. And cyanotic uh, is associated with that bluish discoloration due to lack of oxygen. Um, some differences between arterial and venous. With uh, arterial progressive disease, you have uh, intermittent pain when walking. There's no swelling. You have limb pallor, limb coolness, and rest pain. On the venous side, you're more likely to have an acute onset, which persists. Uh, has persistent pain in the calf or thigh, limb swelling, limb cyanosis, a warm limb, and tenderness. Some helpful tips. Don't let the patient lift their legs to assist when you're applying cuffs. As soon as they relax their muscles, the cuff becomes too loose. It'll give you an erroneous reading. Uh, place the high cuff, high thigh cuff as proximal as possible. Place the calf cuff below the bony structures of the knee, um, otherwise excessively high pressures will be recorded. And plastic wrap placed over a wound or an ulcer to keep pressure uh, cuffs clean, and also not to infect your patient. Uh, ABIs, or ankle brachial index, indices, or index, is the highest blood pressure recorded at the ankle from either the DPA or the PTA divided by the highest pressure recorded at the brachial artery in the arm. It's used to predict the severity of uh, uh, PAD and how to uh, treat the patient. Uh, normal if the blood pressure at the ankle is the same or greater than the pressure in the arm. It's abnormal if it's less than one. The lower the index, the higher the chances of leg pain while exercising or limb threatening uh, low blood flow. It does not allow determining the level of the disease. Um, that is what segmental pressures do, and that's what they're for. So that ABI, again, it cannot determine the location of proximal arterial lesions, uh, nor does it indicate the relative significance of lesions at multiple levels. You have bilateral ankle pressures divided by the higher brachial uh, pressure. The highest ankle, ankle pressure value is reported for that ABI, so it's going to be the higher of the two with the DP or the PT. And then the lowest ABI reported as a marker for PAD. So resting ABI values, if it's 1 to 1.4, it's usually considered normal. If it's greater than 0.9, still normal. Um, depending on what literature you're looking at. If it's less than 0.9, it's abnormal. If it's greater than 1.4, it might mean it's non-compressible, meaning that the vessels are 
calcified or hardened from a disease like diabetes. If it is less than 0.8, you have probable claudication. If you're getting a reading that is less than 0.5, it's more than likely a multi-level disease or a long segment occlusion. And if it's less than 0.3, you have ischemic breast pain or very, very severe disease. ABI value exception of normal values, the brachial systolic pressure below 100 milligrams of mercury or above 200 milligrams of mercury, uh, or the ankle and the ankle pressure may be 25% lower than the brachial because of it. Pressure limitation, one of them is calcified arteries, and as we were mentioning, uh, this happens with diabetics frequently. You have the uh, artery walls get hardened at the point where you are not able to compress them. This can also happen from chronic steroid therapy, uh, renal dialysis patients, and the segmental pressures are unobtainable or excessively high, so they're greater than 1.35. So if you're running your machine and you have an auto-inflation device and you're trying to inflate that cup at the ankles to stop um, that flow of arterial blood flow to the DPA, or the PTA, and you that signal never stops, and you can put the pressure all the way to 255, and you can still hear that artery. That means that those uh, vessels are calcified to the point where your that test is not going to be a diagnostic, so you'll have to do a duplex instead. So here we see some calcification in an artery. It says you can rely on low pressure recording, but not on a high one. Uh, in the presence of calcific sclerosis and incompressible vessels, limb perfusion must be assessed using other methods, um, pulse volume recordings, Doppler waveform analysis, and toe pressures. Uh, where I work, we do toe pressures often, and then we also go and duplex the area. Calcification clues, you got an incompressible artery pressure, unobtainable or excessively high ABI, and high pressures in the limb distally compared to the proximal pressures. Pulsatility index. So quantitative information of limb perfusion, your pulsatility index is your systolic minus your diastolic pressure divided by the mean. And if you have a low pulsatility index, it's an indicator for severe, the severity of disease or very severe disease. It's easy to perform and substantial clinical validation. And uh, a lot of your uh, machines now will actually calculate that number for you. So normal pulsatility index uh, in the femoral, it is greater than 5.5, popliteal greater than 8, and postibial artery greater than 14. Abnormal pulsatility index suggests uh, femoral pulsatility index of less than 5 suggests aortic iliac disease. A low femoral pulsatility index in the presence of a superficial femoral disease may render prediction of aortic iliac disease being unreliable. Plasmography. So plasmography is a combination with Doppler segmental pressures. In combination with it, it helps to differentiate true claudication from non-vascular sources detect the presence uh, slash absence of arterial disease, localized level of obstruction, assess the results of medical and or exercise therapy, and most often used to evaluate the digits. So 
in your Pelerito um, text on 247, it says that plasmography is a tool for recording volume changes in tissues of the limbs and the digits. And the measurement can be used to assess blood flow parameters, such as arterial pulsations and limb blood pressure. It measures the volume indirectly based on changes in limb circumference. And then if you're, we have a couple different types of plasmography, air-filled plasmography, the cuff it uses cuffs and air, and um, considered to be segmental. Strain gauge plasmography uses small silicone rubber tubes filled with a liquid metal alloy or mercury and uh, uses electricity and the limb circumference changes to correspond with changes in voltage drop across the gauge. There is also impedance plasmography, which calculates blood volume of the limb reflected by changes in electrical impedance. So plasmography uses pneumatic cuffs placed at specific levels of the extremities or digits and measures the amount of air introduced into the cuff up to a pressure range of 10 to 65 milligrams of mercury. As arterial flow moves underneath the cuff through the arteries, branches, small vessels, and collaterals, momentary increases in limb segment volume occur during systole when the arterial flow peaks. If systolic pressure increases in the volume, put uh, increases in volume, put pressure against the cuff. Volume plasmography, aka pneumo volume and true plasmography, um, terms to describe volume plasmography waveforms include pulse volume recordings, volume pulse recordings, and pulse contour recordings. And the pulse pressure changes occurring inside the uh, cuff bladder converted by a pressure transducer into the analog waveform display. There's also another form of plasmography that is uh, photoelectric plasmography, which contains infrared light emitting a diode and phototransistor. The signal is proportional to the quantity of red blood cells in the cutaneous circulation. It does not measure the actual volume changes often used to detect arterial pulsations in the digits, or it is used for the digits. So limitations of plasmography, uh, non-specific to a single vessel because it measures volume changes in a large limb segment, and it's difficult to discriminate between major arteries and collateral branches, and obesity makes it very difficult to perform the test. Pulse volume recordings. A normal PVR waveform is a sharp upslope, upslope and a prominent reflective wave, also called a dichrotic notch, is secondary upstroke in the descending part of the pulse tracing corresponding to the transient increase in aortic pressure when aortic valve is closed in late systole and in early diastole. Mild disease will cause the waveform to broaden and the reflective wave will not be present there, may, there is also a slight loss of amplitude. And with moderately abnormal PVR, it has a rounded waveform peak, no reflective uh, wave, and uh, pronounced disease or, or decrease in amplitude. And if there is a severely abnormal PVR, uh, is of low amplitude or even a flat line. Some advantages of PVR pulse volume recordings would be they're easy to learn and perform. 
the assessment of uh, global limb perfusion, metatarsal and toe evaluation, and not affected by calcified arteries. Limitations include tremor uh, motion, and with proximal disease, accuracy in predicting distal disease is reduced, and uh, subjective and not quantitative. Photoplasmography PPG consists of a transducer, amplifier, and a strip chart recorder. It detects cutaneous blood flow and records pulsations rather than recording volume changes. It's not a true plasmography. Uh, it's not volumetric, although it still is considered plasmographic uh, technique. And the PPG records pulse waveforms. The rapid changes in blood content of the skin are recorded as pulsatile waveforms in each heartbeat. Segmental pressures using PPG. Um, it's bilaterally capability. Uh, has, uh, it's convenient, requires less skill. Ambient uh, light interference um, and no audible pulse and not good for severe disease. Digital plasmography is used to obtain waveforms that uh, represent blood flow as well as systolic pressure measurements. A special size cuff, two to three centimeters, placed at the base of the digit with a PPG sensor at the tip. The cuff is then inflated and deflated uh, and systolic pressure is recorded. Normal if rapid upstroke, uh, a sharp pick, and a dichrotic notch is present. It should be a sharp peak. And here we have some images of a digital pressure acquisition, and you can see the capillary flow sensor. This is placed underneath a finger here in infrared uh, red light sources that are um, getting that. Uh, Catching the uh, readings, you have your digital cuff that is a little bit further up the finger, and then the sensor, which is below on the underside of the finger. And we can see a return of pulse and systolic pressure here. So after that cuff um, deflated, then we have our waveform returning. Continuous wave Doppler waveform analysis. These waveforms are obtained from the CFA SFA, popliteal artery, PTA, and the DPA. And waveform morphology, it's assessed in three characteristics, the pulsatility of the wave, the systolic forward flow, and the early diastolic reversal. What level is the disease? Here we have an image showing all of our waveforms, and you can see that um, we have normal triphasic waveforms on the right side that go to biphasic and all the way down to the ankle, eventually end up at my, uh, monophasic. Um, conversely, on the left side, we start out at monophasic, and you can see a huge difference in those waveforms. This patient uh, more than likely has uh, severe inflow disease. Exercise stress testing, what is the purpose? It's to differentiate true vascular claudication from pseudoclaudication. Uh, differentiate borderline normal from abnormal in patients with combined neuropathy and vascular disease. Determine which condition is, uh, is limiting the walking. And pre-op assessment for radial artery harvest uh, or coronary artery bypass, a cabbage or hemodialysis access placement. 
So we are here, we're looking at Palmar Arch, and this is something they test for patency. So if you look in, in your page 243 in your Daigle book, they talk about uh, um, a modified Allen test and were uh, is best test for Palmar Arch patency with physiological testing devices. And they use PPG sensors and are placed on the thumb and index fingers in the fifth digit. And um, it's kind of a different version of a standard Allen test, which uh, evaluates the patency of the wrist arteries and source of the arterial supply to the fingers. It's useful in determining hand viability if the radial artery is to be removed or used as a, for a coronary artery bypass graft or for various access procedures such as a dialysis or angiography. It does have some limitations though, and it can you you can be limited if there's excessive dorsiflexation of the wrist. Uh, it might compress the radial artery or ulnar artery as it crosses over the wrist, leading to a false positive result. And if the hand is open and the fingers are forcibly extended, the skin can over uh, the skin over the palm can be stretched, causing compression of the small vessels, and relative to pallor can occur because of the interference of circulation. So some of you may have the uh, Claudia Rumwell book as well that we recommended that talks about uh, the Allen test and the technique for the standard Allen test, the arm uh, to be evaluated is in a relaxed position at the patient's side. Patient's head can be slightly elevated. The vascular technologist or sonographer palpitates the radial artery at the lateral wrist and then applies manual compression. While the vascular technologist continues to manually compress the artery, the patient is asked to clench the hand into a tight fist for about a minute, inducing pallor. As the radial artery remains compressed, the patient relaxes the hand. And, uh, and then for documentation, once the hand is relaxed, um, they may go to that modified Allen test there and put the PPG sensors on. Some individuals have an incomplete palmar arch, and um, you can see in the image here a couple different variations, mixed dominance and ulnar dominant type arches. Preoperative assessment. Um, bilateral arm pressures, the 20 milligrams of mercury gradient is significant. Uh, full digit evaluation with PBR and PPG might be needed. Quantitative Allen tests for the pulmonary arch and duplex scan of the radial artery um, to rule out sclerosis or stenosis and or to measure the size of it as well. Radial artery harvest, sometimes the arteries harvest um, but they will not if there's contraindications such as ischemia in the digits, uh, digit vasospastic disorder, or arthroplusive disease in the arms, or sclerotic, or small, a very small radial artery. If it's small, obviously you can't use it for a bypass. So what is the purpose? Um, resting blood flow over stenotic lesion may be sufficient to maintain normal or normal distal pressure. When flow is augmented over the stenosis as an exercise or reactive hyperemia, digital pressure may drop, revealing the presence of disease. If it is appropriate to exercise the, it is appropriate to exercise uh, those with claudication symptoms despite a normal resting exam. 
So sometimes we perform an exercise stress test and we have the patient on a treadmill um, and we have them walking at a speed of 1.5 to 2 miles an hour. And where you're at, what the protocol is for sure. We want them at about a 5 to 10% grade and we have them, it's pretty standard to have their patient walk for 5 minutes. And then post-exercise ankle pressures are taken immediately. So there are a couple post-exercise methods. Method one involves one bilateral ABI, uh, both ankles and one arm. Uh, method two involves serial ABIs for five to 10 minutes post-exercise. Claudication criteria, uh, post-exercise ankle pressure of 60 milligrams of mercury or less confirms a vascular etiology. Here we can see a post-exercise with serial pressures, and you can see the pressure returning over time with the different sampling. Post-occlusive reactive hyperemia. Um, substitute for This is a substitute for a treadmill test for patients that are unable to ambulate due to their questionable cardiac status or other and uh, uses occlusive tourniquet pressure and then when removed uh, the blood flow volume into the leg increases and it's recorded it is a significant if there's significant stenosis the distal pressures will decrease so they include the distal thigh um, for three to five minutes the occluded pressure occluded pressure is 20 milligrams of mercury above the limb pressure they record the post-occlusion ankle pressure it's a very painful exam which is why we're showing the image of someone being tortured here and uh, has poor patient acceptance. It's not really used a whole lot. Uh, a substitute for this is actually to do toe raises um, in, rather than the P-O-R-H, and typically have toe raises for one minute uh, and then get post-exercise pressures. And a lot of places as a protocol will have the patient 